again, we're so excited about what God has done, and we're so thankful for all the hard work that's gone into bringing everything together today. Uh, what a great time of celebration. And it's not, it's, it doesn't end here. Uh, if you have time, we certainly, again, encourage you to stay with us for uh, the food and the, and the additional fellowship that will happen in the gym after we dismiss. Uh, so we thank God for that. I know that we have some visitors with us today, uh, first-time visitors. Uh, and so if you are a first-time visitor, would you stand? Amen. Would you, would you, would you remain standing? We want to, we want to just have you to give us your name if you don't mind. I'm sorry. Don't, don't sit down just yet. Please give us your name starting here. Okay. Chanel. Janelle. Good. Welcome, Janelle. Matthew. Alex. Yeah, Augusta. Welcome to all of you. We're so happy that you chose to come and worship with us today. Amen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reference here in a minute as a part of the message uh, something that Augusta did for us. Augusta used to work for the Tyler paper, and he did one of the first stories on Bethel Hope, and I actually have it printed, framed, hanging in my office right now. Uh, he works at TJC now, but he interviewed me and Fritz when we first started this, started this journey, and I'm so happy to have him with us today. Yes, so we thank God for that. So, uh, there is a word, there is a word, there is a word, uh, and guess what book of the Bible is found in? Can anybody tell me? Oh, how did y'all, how did you ever, how did you guess that? I bet you can't tell me what chapter. <laughs> Man, boy, I tell you, smart people with us today, Romans chapter 12, now i I, I guarantee you I'll throw you with this one. You, I bet you can't tell me which verses. Don't even try. Because I know what you're going to say. Verse 3, because we've been doing one verse. But today we're not doing just one. We're doing a few. So today we're going we're gonna to be in Romans chapter 3. I'm sorry, Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. If not, it's on the screen for you. Uh, and let's read it. Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8 says this. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. Amen. So from this passage in Romans chapter 12, I'd like to lift this theme, Paul's charge to the church. Paul's charge to the church. 
Uh, I'm not exactly sure how, how it all worked out this way, but this section of Romans, which we began a couple of weeks ago uh, in chapter 12, verse 1, and continuing today in chapter 12, verses 3 through 8, is actually an ideal passage for launching us into a time of both celebration and challenge. Uh, I didn't plan it that way. Uh, whoever planned the preaching calendar, calendar didn't plan it that way. But it's such an appropriate passage of Scripture as we look at our time of reflection and celebration. But not only that, but also our time of challenge. It's quite appropriate. Uh, we'll discuss the reason why I believe it's appropriate for both those things later. But for now, let's take a look at more reasons. We've already seen some in the video and in the slideshow, but more reasons to celebrate what God has done. One of the one 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 big reason, one one big reason uh, that we have to celebrate is the relationships. As we look back over the course of the last 12 plus months, we realize there's been some relationships that have formed in our body. Uh, we met on Thursday of last week, of this past week, to discuss uh, discipleship here at Hope. And in our time of discussion, we realized when we were talking, Dave, that uh, one of the things that has happened over the course of the last 12 months is that there have been relationships formed that would have never been formed had we not come together around uh, in, in, at Bethel Hope. If we had never done, there are relationships that were never on the radar 18 months ago. I have re close relationships with some of you that I didn't even know a year ago. Uh, there are relationships within our body. So that, for, if, if we didn't have any other reason, that is a beautiful reason to celebrate today as we look back. Just the relationships that have been built. There have been also mutual cultural enlightenment that has happened throughout our fellowship. What do I mean by that? I mean by that is, what I mean by that is this, to the point that many of us have learned some new words. Y'all should be laughing right there. And some new phrases and some new concepts that were quite foreign to a lot of us before we all came together. Right? Because I know that's true because I hear it all the time. I, you know, I didn't know, and Chris told me this, I didn't know till last Sunday what boo meant. All right? And I've heard some things that I like. I, somebody said, I, I didn't even know what a repast was. And then somebody else, there, there's just been so many examples of how we all have been enlightened culturally to the cultures of others. And that, it, that has brought us together in such a significant and impactful way. We've learned about each other in ways that we never would have had we not opened this door and began this journey. Um, here's some other accomplishments that we've seen. Uh, you, you, you saw some of these that went out in a letter that I sent out not long ago, but I want to recap these again for you. Uh, again, we successfully launched this campus on February 24th of last year. Uh, we have had steady growth along the way. Each month, we've had growth in our family. Uh, we hosted a community back-to-school event, attended by over 3,000 people. 1,500-plus backpacks were given away. 
we hosted the annual Tyler Faith Walk here at the Hope Campus uh, uh, in, in our community uh, with a thousand plus people from the local community that, were, that, that participated. Um, we hosted the first Festival of Hope where we had free food, giveaways, bounce houses, and great local entertainment for people in our surrounding communities. We are, as I said earlier, we were featured twice in the Tyler paper for pursuing our vision of unity in the community and our, our uh, you know, challenge of, of doing that. We have started Open Gym, which has been a great blessing to our community where people come together, play basketball every Sunday evening, great outreach, great opportunity. Men's ministry, women, women's ministry, life groups have all launched and continue to thrive. We actively participated in City Fest where over a thousand people gave their lives to Christ. Hope members participated in mission trips this past year, namely to Japan and Sierra Leone. So we've had impact throughout the world. Uh, we had our first campus baptism. Somebody shout hallelujah. Five people were baptized right here. We, I forgot until I saw the video that we hosted our, and, and, and did our first wedding right here at Bethel Hope. Of, our, of two of our members were married. I performed the ceremony right here. We're so thankful for that. We launched a Wednesday night Bible study that has been attended well and often in, uh, welcomes people from not even, that are not even uh, members of our church from the community that come. Uh, uh, we recent, recently launched the Be the Bridge group, a racial reconciliation study group that meets Sundays. Been a great success. One of our most highly anticipated and attended events has been our monthly potlucks, which today is that day, uh, which has given us a great time, great times of food and fellowship. Uh, we have a great partnership with Promise Academy, which has proven itself uh, to be a great blessing to the families in our community. It's been great to be able to partner with Promise Academy. Uh, everyone at Bethel Hope has willingly adjusted to embrace our unique mantra of shared discomfort. That is a product of our diversity. All of us, uh, this surprised me, all of us have bought into this idea of being, dis being uncomfortable in a shared way. And it's amazing to see. So this is indeed a time of grand celebration for what God has done. But it's also a time not only of grand celebration, it's also a time of great challenge. It's also, let me say that again, a time of great challenge. Here's our challenge. Our challenge is not to become complacent or to become victims of what Peter Greer and Chris Horst call in their book uh, Mission Drift. It's not, it, our challenge is not to become victims of Mission Drift. We can't do that. And, and what is that? Here it is. Here's what it is. It's slowly, silently, and with little fanfare, drifting from the founding mission 
the founding mission. It's, it's not the one I created. It's not the one that's catchy. It's not any of that. It's the one God gave us as a church, right? We have to be careful not to begin to slowly, quietly, without any of us noticing it, begin to drift away from what God brought us together to do. Uh, these things are challenges because if we become complacent and cease to hold the mission high, we run the risk of becoming one of three undesirable models for a church. The three undesirable models for a church are museum, mausoleum, or coliseum. We don't want to be any of those three things. Let me explain. A museum, a museum houses relics from the past. Its primary focus is to memorialize traditions by a, by a bygone era. Has no interest or emphasis on the future. We don't want to be that. We don't want to be a museum. Likewise, we certainly don't want to become a mausoleum because mausoleums do nothing more but house dead things. And then we, 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 we really certainly don't want to be nothing more than a coliseum either because a coliseum stands for one purpose. It's there for entertainment. And that's not who we want to be, and we have to be careful to remain focused because if not, we'll fall victim to one of those three models. If our challenge is not to become these things, then what are we challenged to do? If this is what we don't want to do, then what should we do? Well, here it is. To we, we have to remain focused on the necessary, necessary, originally intended purposes of the church. The necessary, originally by God intended purposes of the church. Here they are. Exaltation. That's our first purpose. Exaltation. It's what Peter talks about in 1 Peter 2, 9 when he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for, for his own possession, that you may, here it is, proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We should, we should be about exalting God in everything we do. We should be about proclaiming, not just in our speech, but in our actions, in the way that we live our lives, proclaiming his majesty, his glory, and exalting above everything else, not me, not you, but God, right? That's one purpose. Another one is not just exaltation, but also evangelism. Evangelism is huge. It's, it's, it's one of the reasons why we gather. It's what, it's what the book of Acts, and when Luke writes in Acts, he says this in Acts 1.8. Uh, he says this, this is what we should be about. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. This is Jesus talking, right? In Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. Exaltation, evangelism, but then lastly, edification. Edification. So what does it mean? It means that we should have this desire to encourage one another, to build one another up, so that when you walk out these doors, you're ready to face a challenging world. That, that after you've been beat up and beat down at work or wherever you go all week long, that you come here, and when you, when you come here, you don't get the same thing. You don't get, you don't get, you don't get uh, 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 snapped at, and you don't get uh, uh, put down. You, rather, it's about building 
it's what Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians 5.11 when he says this, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Paul says, we're doing it, let's keep doing it. Right? So we've got exaltation, evangelism, and edification as our foundational mission, as our foundational purpose. And we have to remain focused on that because if not, we'll end up being one of those EMs. Y'all remember the EMs, don't you? If I ask you what they are, you can tell me. If you get a test later, you can tell me what the EMs are, right? What are they? Museum. Mausoleum. Oh, good. Y'all get an A. We don't want to do that, so we want, to, we want to remain focused. In today's passage, Paul helps us with this challenge. We have this challenge. Paul gives us some help with it. Uh, in verse 1 of chapter 12, you remember that Paul appeals to each believer that we would present our bodies as living sacrifices. Y'all remember that? We talked about it a couple weeks ago. Then we moved on to verse 2, and in verse 2, he reminds us that our ultimate goal, it was just last week we talked about this, certainly you haven't forgotten about it already. Our ultimate goal is knowing God, and that only happens through transformation. Our ultimate goal is knowing God only happens through transformation. Now, here in verses 3 through 8, he issues a charge that amounts to guidelines to avoid becoming anemic and impotent as a church. It's what he does. He gives us guidelines for that. First thing he gives us is this. He says that we must be people of clear thinking and sober judgment. It's in verse 3. This is what he says in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So Paul says to avoid the trap of falling into those undesirable models for church, first thing you have to do is not be too high. Uh, uh, let me say that one more. Not be too high. Because that happens, you do know that happens in church sometimes, right? So uh, the first problem that Paul addresses is that of thinking more of yourself than you ought to think. Uh, it, it, it's called pride. Thinking more of yourself than you ought to think. Paul has in mind those people who tend to look down on others and tend to believe that their gift or their gifts are superior to somebody else's. It's not good for us to look down on somebody else. It's good for us, not, uh, for us to not think too highly of ourselves, not to be too high. We must be sure to take heed what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. Here's what he says. Do nothing for selfish ambition or conceit. So, so before I continue along this line, let me say this. I hadn't really seen any of that here. But we have to be careful because the moment you think it's not a threat. So I don't want you to think I'm fussing because I'm not fussing. I'm just giving a challenge so that we can make sure we remain on mission and remain on task because the minute you let your guard down, so don't leave here today talking about the preacher was fussing at us. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you have to be careful. Paul says do nothing. Be careful not to do anything from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. 
There's another version that says, let this mind be in you. That's all, that was also in Christ Jesus, right? So that's what Paul says. Paul says, don't get too high. Don't start thinking that somebody is beneath you. But, that, but then that's not the only thing he addresses in this verse because he also addresses the problem of getting too low. Getting too low. <laughs> the other side of this is the people who don't think they have anything to offer at all. So they abstain from any kind of involvement, believing themselves to be less than others and not gifted at all. That also is a serious problem in the church. Not thinking that you have anything to offer at all. Not being too high, but being too low, right? And Paul addresses it. He says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 7. This is what he says. Now, he says, he says all of us are valuable, right? He says this, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given, he says. To each is given. To each is given. That means all of you. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for what reason? For the common good, right? So he says, Paul says in, in verse 3 of Romans chapter 12, don't get too high. Then he says, on the other hand, make sure not to get too low. There is a place somewhere in the middle that we all have to find because all of us are valuable. So first thing to help us to avoid these things that we don't want to be is clear thinking and sober judgment. Then in verses 4 through 5, uh, the other thing is this, that we must be anatomically aware. Now, the only thing I mean by that, and I know you're saying, what do you mean by that? Well, let me tell you what I mean by that. There must be at least a simple understanding of how the body works and the parts of the body. And what anatomy, at least a, you don't have to be a, a scientist or a biologist or a doctor. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying, you should have, all of us as human beings should have a simple understanding of anatomy, right? It's important that we have that. It's important. There must be this basic understanding. There must be uh, awareness that we are one body with many, many members just like a physical body. We are one body with many members, just like any physical body. Also, there must be awareness that each member is unique. Each part is unique and not only unique, but necessary to the optimal functioning of the body. Because with either one, the body, without either one, the body is impaired. The body is disabled. The body is not able to function properly. The body is limited without either of the parts. If you lose the operation of the function of anything in your body or on your body, you can still function. My knees hurt me. That's old age. And I don't even know where it came from. Sam just woke up the other day, didn't hurt anything, just I never had knee problems all of a sudden, right? So I'm not able, if you, if, if you did something to me right now, and took off running, I probably wouldn't be able to catch you. 
I don't know if I'd be able to catch you anyway, depending on how fast you are, but certainly not now. You would get away. And I say that to say that when anything on our body goes down, we're not able to function like we ought to. If you lose an arm, you can still function. Right? But you can't do everything that you, if you lose your sight, you can still make it. There are many blind people that do wonderfully in life. You can still function, but it's not a good idea to have somebody that's blind drive you somewhere. Right? So all of that said, there must be a basic understanding of what the body parts are and how they operate in the body. It's important because Paul uses this analogy and applies it to the church. He goes into more detail on this subject in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 12. This is what he says. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, he says this. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less of a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of the body. That's the reason why it's important to understand a little bit about anatomy, because we need to know how we fit. And, and, and the, rel the, the, the relevance of how we fit and what it means to the overall body and understanding that, that I can't do everything that I ought to be able to do as a believer without you. And you, at the same time, can't do it without me. We need each other to be able to pull this off. I, I need an arm. I need a shoulder. I need a leg and a foot. I don't know what part I play, but whatever part it is, I need those other ones. Right. It reminds me of the song Hezekiah Walker sings when he said the, the song entitled I Need You to Survive. Many of you know this song. It says this. I need you. You need me. We're all a part of God's body. Stand with me, he says. Agree with me. We're all a part of God's body. It is his will that every need be supplied. You are important to me. I need you to survive. It is important that we understand how we fit. I pray for you, you pray for me. I won't harm you, he says, with words from my mouth, because we fit together as many members, but with one body. And so Paul says we have to have this understanding of anatomy in a physical, material, worldly sense to understand how the parts come together in a spiritual sense. It's important that we have that. Then lastly, not only that, uh, that we must be proactive. Must be, that, that must be uh, proactivity. Proactivity must be a part of who we are. It's in verses 6 through 8. In verses 6 through 8, this is what Paul says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them 
If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Uh, It's here that we find Paul's distinct, undoubtable charge. I said that, that this was Paul's charge to the church. Here in this verse, it jumps out at me. Here's what it says in this verse that I see as a charge. He says this, let us use them. Let us, we have to use what God gave us. It is important for us to be proactive. We must identify and recognize our gifts. And then once we do that, let us use them. It's not, it's not good to identify it, recognize it, and just sit on it, is it? It's good for us to recognize it, identify it, and then use it, be proactive, be people of proactivity and not passivity. Be people that are active in wanting to apply what God has given them to the context of the body of Christ. We must be careful not to bring our consumer spectator mentality to church. You know that's who we are most of the time. Most of during the week, that's who we were, consumers and spectators. This mentality often drives us all week, and we often subconsciously bring that same mentality with us on Sunday. First problem is that we, that, that, that we think that church is just Sunday. That's first issue, right? It's more than that, right? But those of us, when we do come, oftentimes, without even thinking about it, we bring the same thought process that carried us through the week. You know, the consumer in us and the spectator in us, we bring it to the house of the Lord on Sunday and think, it's okay, this is who I've been six days out of the week and I'm going to be the same on Sunday. God is not pleased with that. And if we want to avoid those things that I talked about earlier, we cannot be that kind of a people. Spectatorism, I created that word. That's not really a word, but it's all right. We're going to just go with it, right? (laughs) The spectatorism, I tell you what it is, is a large part of our makeup in society. It's the reason why actors, comedians, singers, athletes are revered, sometimes even worshipped. And not only are they revered and sometimes worshipped, they're compensated quite well. Somebody say amen. They're paid quite nicely. There's a reason for that. The reason is because they have the ability to provide something that we seek. Something that we seek while we do nothing more than watch them. They provide something. They they, they satisfy something in us. And all we do is spectate. And because they have that ability, they are paid very well. They are worshipped oftentimes. uh, And that is the mentality oftentimes that we have when we arrive on Sunday morning. We think, I just want to watch. I want to be a spectator. I mean, I watched the Cowboys the other day and you know, I watch LeBron, I watch uh, Zion, I watch all these people, my favorite, whoever. I watch. And, and so when I come on Sunday, I want to do the same thing. I think that, now I'm going to tell you. Yeah. Yeah, we don't, no, that's not a good thing. Not only spectatorism, but consumerism. We, we live as consumers all the week. It, it's consumerism is the other societal norm that is dangerous for the church. Consumerism, by the way, is the attitude or belief of many Christians that the church exists to serve them. That it exists to serve them. Uh, here, here's an interesting quote from the book Shaped by God's Heart by Milford Manatera. He says this, 
he describes consumer, the consumer mentality this way. He says, just as, this is what the consumer says, just as they count on Walmart meeting their material needs, they expect the churches to provide religious goods and services. And then John MacArthur, in his book, The Master Plan of the Church, adds this insight. It is easy for Christians to get to the point where they expect things to be done for them. They show up for church only if they think they will get something out of it. And again, don't leave here saying that, that Ricky was fussing. I'm just saying this is a warning. We have to be careful not to fall into that. We have to be careful to know that we have something to offer and we don't just come to get, we have to come to bring as well, right? There's something that all of us have to offer that God wants us to, to bring. Uh, we must avoid uh, the Pareto principle. Anybody know what the Pareto principle is? Is this. It was discovered by Vilfredo Pareto, an Italian economist. It states this. For many phenomena, 80% of the consequences stem for 20% of the causes. In American churches, 80% of the people allow the remaining 20% to do 80% of ministry. There are a lot of spectators watching the show. And that's what Pareto says. He said there's a lot of spectators. Here it is. When Christians stop behaving like consumers, the gospel will have greater impact in our communities. We have to not be spectators and only consumers. So, Paul says this, let us use them. Whatever gifts we have, use them for his glory. Whatever God has given us, figure out what it is and use it for his glory. Because the church has greater impact. So to that end, I want to issue this challenge and I'm going to sit down. We have to figure out how to not just think about this as a Sunday experience. And then we can break it down even lower than that for those that do think of it as just a Sunday experience. First of all, you have to get rid of that. Then when we come, we have to know that you have something to offer to the body. Right? You have something to offer that is desperately needed. And if we're going to be able to celebrate birthday number two and birthday number three and birthday number four and birthday number five and not end up as a mausoleum, we're going to have to do what it is together that the body was created to do. And that is properly function with all its moving, working, functioning parts. Let me leave you with this last thought. Here it is. Last thought is this. The best is yet to come. But our challenge is to remain focused on the mission. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, Lord, we thank you for one year, for your word that has challenged us all along the way, has led us and been a lamp and a light. And we just, Lord God, pray that uh, we, would, we would stand to the challenge that you've given us going forward. We would uh, not fall victim to some of the things that we'll enter in if we're not careful. Keep us on mission. Keep us focused. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Warren is coming now for communion.